We're going to get right into it, guys. We're going to continue this morning our series called Intermission, focusing on the uh, prison letters of Paul. Um, And we're going to pick up this morning exactly where uh, Brock left off last week in the book of Colossians in the third chapter. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up and uh, word should be on the screen behind me. And this is what the word says. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Father, I pray that You would bless the reading of Your Word, that You would open up its treasures to us once again. Holy Spirit, would You be our teacher? Don't let us just be uh, watchers. Don't let us just be hearers of the Word, but may we be doers. God, there's a lot here to unpack, and and Holy Spirit, I pray You would lead us to the things You want us to, to, to deal with, to grapple with today. Remind us what's true about us. Expose the lies of the enemy, and uh, may Your people walk in freedom in this room and all around where people are watching in their homes. I pray a blessing on them now. Meet with us. Be our teacher. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there are so many things in this passage. You probably recognize a lot of the verses, um, and I'm not going to get to all of that. There are just two major realities that Paul talks about in this passage that I want to talk about this morning. Okay, the first one is something that's already been accomplished for you, okay? It's a finished reality. The second one is an ongoing process, okay? And they're both equally important, but we need to realize what's going on because I think if we recognize it, it might give you some hints as to why maybe your spiritual life is the way your spiritual life is, okay? So that's the point this morning. The first reality is the thing that's already been accomplished, and we see it in verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10, it says, about halfway through verse 9, it says, well, it starts with, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
have put. It's, it's done, okay? That's a finished reality for you. Your old self, once you came to Christ, once you received everything that he died to give you, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's done. You have put off that old self and you've put on a new self. From that point forward, whether you feel new or not, you're new. The old is gone. That is what Christ died to give you. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. That is very, very good news, people. That is awesome news because it doesn't depend on you. That part's already been done because it's not by works that anyone saved. It's by grace through faith, right? That's what gave you a new self. Regardless of how new you feel right now, you've done that. It's been accomplished. You don't believe me? Look at verse 11. It says, here, where, in Christ, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Whatever your social standing, whatever your ethnicity, none of that matters. You're in Christ. Finished reality. Done. We're celebrating. The second reality is quite different, though. The second reality is an ongoing process in the life of every believer in this room, every believer watching at home, every believer that's ever walked the face of this earth. This is a description of the spiritual war, of the life that we're all called to live. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put present tense. Put it to death. There is earthly stuff in us. How many of you, when you accepted Christ, all your problems went away? All your bad habits went away? All your behaviors immediately changed and you were just holy and there was a little halo over your little bald head? Oh, that's me. That's not you. It doesn't work that way, does it? It's like, yeah, we accept Christ and we're forgiven, but all that junk, all those bad habits, all the stuff that we struggle with, it's still there. Paul would say in the book of Romans, why, why is it that I, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do I can't do? And he's the guy writing this stuff. And he says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He is already in Christ when he writes that. You understand? Some of you get over the self-hatred. This war is not specific to you. That's why we need community. We need people around us reminding us that we are not alone and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Put to death whatever's earthly in you. What is earthly in you? He gives us, he gives us some lists, okay? And it's some, it's some ugly stuff, stuff that we don't even like to admit that is in us. But guys, grappling with this stuff, this is how you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is how... This stuff happens, this transformation. But if we don't admit what's in us, then we will never deal with what's in us. The list starts in verse 5 and following. What's earthly in you? Sexual immorality. You guys probably haven't noticed that we have a whole society built upon this. Like the whole, pretty much the whole American way now is built on this idea that it's a business. And it's to be enjoyed however you want to enjoy it. Guys, that is what the world says. It's not what the Bible says. Sexual immorality. Impurity. You know what impurity is? Anything that's not pure. 
I'm so smart, you know? Stuff like this just comes to me, you know? What is impurity? Anything that's not pure. How many of you, if you get a glass of milk and there's something floating in it, think, ooh, and you hadn't been dunking cookies in it? I mean, it's just something's in there. It's not supposed to be there. It's impure. Anything that's not pure. See, we've gotten accustomed to, it's kind of clean, it's okay. Impurity is earthly. We're supposed to put it to death. Passion. Evil desire. All that kind of sounds like it's like kind of going towards the dirty words. You know what I'm saying? But then we get to this one, and covetousness. Covetousness. Remember one of the Old Testament commandments? Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's stuff. Covetousness is on this first list. What is covetousness? It's not being content with where God has you right now. Looking around. Looking around. Social media thrives on this. Looking at everybody else's perfect lives. Covetousness, guys. It's earthly. It has no place in the life of a believer. And, it, and it's one of those things that we just, we just let it stay in there. Guys, Paul says, put it to death. Put it away. Then he starts another verse, another list in verse 8. And this, this might hit, you know, we're not so much on the, the, the NC-17 list now. This is more like just kind of water cooler conversation at the office or something. Get rid of these things. Anger. There are so many... Guys, anger is the word of the week, right? I'm so thankful that I'm not in Minnesota today. Uh, Guys, there is injustice all the time. There is something to be mad about all the time, but when when we let our anger take over, watch the news. It's put it to death. What? Injustice? Yeah, no, your anger. There are other responses. Wrath. That's just anger on steroids. Malice. It's malice. Malice is like those anger fantasies that you have about the person that you like the least and you really want to get them. And just wanting ill will for someone else. Guys, that's not the heart of Christ. That's earthly. Slander. Obscene talk. Lies. All these things that come out of our mouths. It is important what we say and how we say it. Guys, whenever we start down the slippery slope of just talking about somebody, guys, it ends up in a really, really bad place. Guys, hear me say this. These things are common to all of us. Paul says you all used to walk in these, but you don't have to anymore. They are earthly. Put them to death. Ongoing process. These things are like weeds. I spent all day in the yard yesterday and, uh, and pulled up, cut down everything that wasn't supposed to be there, pulled things up. But you know what? Tomorrow, those weeds will be back because that's what weeds do. The earthly part of you, even though you're new, will keep coming back if you leave it unchecked. See, it's not... I wish it was simpler, don't you? I mean, don't you wish that, that when you became this new self, that all of that stuff went away and you didn't have to deal with it anymore? We used to sing a song here a lot, probably 10 years ago, called Spirit Come Crucify. And it's always been one of those that just kind of 
just kind of cuts right to my heart because it is my heart. The, the chorus to the song says, if I've been crucified to sin, then why do I go back again to things that lead me far from your throne? Why? Spirit, come and kill that part of me that won't lay down upon the tree. Oh, Spirit, come. See, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You know that? The Holy Spirit is in you, and He is the one that helps put to death these things, but we've, we've got to walk in that Spirit. You see, but it's not just about getting rid of things. Because we can unload all the junk. Brock talked about the, us cleaning out the food pantry, and we, we unloaded all this stuff, but if we had just put more junk back in there, we wouldn't have made any progress. It's about what you put in its place. Jesus told the story about casting out a demon. And if, if, you don't, if you don't fill up with something good, then seven other demons are going to come back worse than the first one. So have you ever done this? Have you ever seen anybody like, I don't know, somebody trying to lose a lot of weight and they lose 15, 20 pounds? I'm not talking about anybody in the room, okay? Nobody, listen, hypothetical. Lose 20 pounds. Don't change your lifestyle. Gain 40 pounds. That's spiritually what will happen if all we do is try to get rid of our bad habits and we don't put on the good stuff. And what is the good stuff? He gives us a list. Godly things we should constantly be putting on. It starts in, in verse 12. Put on then, present tense, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, bearing with one another, thankfulness, choosing to love. Guys, how do you, how's this work? Lay down anger, pick up forgiveness. Lay down slander, pick up kindness. You see the trade-off? See, there are all these things that are earthly in us. They're just the wrong representations of how emotion's supposed to come out. There are godly ways to respond. Putting off the bad stuff picking up the good stuff. It's a constant process. You can't just make the decision, I'm going to be kind one time. You, I mean, you can, but that's not going to help you tomorrow. Tomorrow, someone's going to invite you to be unkind. And guess what you're going to have to do? All over again, choose kindness. Choose patience. You know how to fight against covetousness? Patience. God, you know that I'm, something in me is crying out for that. Be patient. Trust me. Guys, there is a godly response to every emotion that we have. Here's my question. Why does Paul speak of this ongoing process of putting things off and putting things on over and over again if our self has been made new? If the old self is gone and the new self has already been given to us, why this process? For that answer, look in verse 10. Verse 10 says... Start at the middle of nine. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the, of the Creator. Your new self is there, and how is it renewed? It's being renewed. Another ongoing process. How? By this process of putting off the old things, the bad things, putting on the, the new things. Guys, here's my question. I wonder how many people in the room, how many people at home, 
know that you know Jesus. You know it. You've walked with him. But it's been so long since you felt new, since you felt refreshed, renewed. It's like there's this, 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 you know how your tongue feels in the morning when you wake up? Especially if you had a cigar the night before. Not that a man of God would ever do that. But that, that kind of film, it's like feels like it's all over. That's how our spiritual lives feel sometimes. It's like, yeah, I know, I know Jesus, but why do I feel so ugh? It could be that you've given, that you've disengaged from this process of putting to death the earthly and picking up the holy. Because we can't live on decisions that we made 10 years ago, people. He calls us to pick, our, pick, up, pick up our cross daily and follow him. Maybe just like Goose is telling Maverick, it's time to engage. Re-engage. Pick up this fight again. Quit coexisting with things that are just poisonous. Paul said very similar things in his other letters that he wrote during the same time. In Ephesians, he talked about maturing, growing up, no longer being like children, being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. He tells them, speak the truth in love and grow up in every way. Grow up in every way into Christ. In Philippians 2, he said it like this. Hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not supposed to be easy. Don't take it lightly. So as, as I was studying this stuff, I, I just I need some examples because I'm a visual person. You know, I need to see a picture. I need to see what it looks like. And so... I want to explore this idea. Hopefully it'll come up on the screen for you at home and here in the room. This is what I want to explore, this truth. That times of waiting, fear, or uncertainty can be fertile soil for the seeds of growth and transformation. I'll say it again. Times of waiting, fear, and uncertainty, times like this, times exactly like this, can be fertile soil for the seeds of growth. And transformation. That's a lot of words, a lot of syllables. So I, I just want you to think about this, this idea of seeds. You know, my friend Byron, he's, he's been planting a garden. He's well familiar with getting the dirt under his fingernails right now. And, and you put those seeds in, Byron, and, 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 and you just have to wait, you know? Like, you can do what you can do. But what's going on under the soil has a lot more to do with the soil. Doesn't it? Guys, this time can be a great time for you, but it can also be an awful time for you. Because what's going on beneath the surface could be good, it could be bad. But if all you're doing is running to the, to the earthly things and you're just filling up on those, you're, you're just medicating with those, that is not the right kind of soil for growth to happen. I want to look at three men, three very different men really quickly, at, and look into their lives and see if we can have any lessons for your life and for my life. Okay, can we do that? Y'all still with me? Y'all still with me at home? ESPN's number 1602 on TDS if you're bored with me. Okay, anyway. The first one is the Apostle Paul himself. We spent a lot of time talking about the latter stages of Paul's life. These, these four prison letters were all written during a two to four year prison term. 
And I want us to leave old Paul for a second and go back to younger Paul. So I want us to back up about 20 years. And we find him in Acts chapter 9 on a road to Damascus. And, and this is what the Word says about what happened to him. Now as he, this is Saul at the time, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And as I hear that voice in my head, for some reason, I hear an angry Brock Tharp. Like little Langston standing in front of him, and, 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 and Brock just unleashes with that, that big, intimidating voice. I'm, I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, Saul, it's, it's Jesus. It's a little nice, soft little Jesus. And why are you hurting my feelings? That is not how I see this going down. This is intense. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter a city, and you will be told what you are to do. You notice there's a one-sided conversation here? Paul got to ask one question, and then Jesus said, it's me, do this. Go to this, find my spot again, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight. I find it interesting that Paul's first encounter with Jesus was not him just feeling this, this urge to repent. It wasn't, you know, this warm, fuzzy feeling and, oh, I just, I just want to go sit at Jesus' feet. No, it, it, it was an intense encounter with awestruck fear, followed by three days of physical blindness. Awestruck fear and physical blindness, Why? I wonder why the journey started like that. And I just, I don't know, but I, I'm going to make some observations. I think the first lesson we can learn from Paul is that maybe he needed to experience physical blindness so that he could realize how spiritually blind he'd been. I think maybe recognizing a spiritual truth in the midst of a current physical reality is a real thing. Paul thought he knew exactly what his life was supposed to be like. He thought he saw clearly. God said no. And he struck him physically blind. And what he, I'm just thinking on those three days where he's totally blind, before Ananias comes to see him, what's Paul seeing? I think he's seeing, oh, maybe I didn't have it right. How does this relate to you and me? Do you think coming out of this pandemic thing, that you, you're going to see the world a little differently? I hope so. There are some things we've learned in this. I hope we never unlearn. Guys, there are things that you can learn in times like these. Look for the spiritual truths in the midst of your current circumstance. Not just today, every day. It's how you grow. Otherwise, you just get mad at God and you become bitter. Look for God in the now. I think there's another lesson that we can learn from Paul right here. It's about being honest about your own depravity. Stop minimizing your sin. Paul says, who are you, Lord? It's me, Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. Deal with it. It's not okay. Paul doesn't say another word. Goes blind for three days. Thinking, oh my gosh, what, what, what have I done? Guys, acknowledging our own depravity is the key 
to starting on the road towards godliness. The, the longer that we just minimize, oh, well, my sin's not really that bad. It's just, oh, God, no. he made me. He knows how I am. Yeah, he does. He knew how Paul was, too. And I think that there's a lesson to be learned. Be honest about your own depravity. The account of what happens happened next to Paul. You have to jump to Galatians, and we don't have time to go there. But in Galatians, he says he didn't immediately, when Ananias comes in, we'll talk about that in a second, he restores his sight. Paul doesn't immediately go out and start preaching. In Galatians, he said, I went away to Arabia and came back to Damascus for three years. Why three years? I think the, the next lesson that Paul teaches us is that maybe before we can pursue holiness, we need to admit that we need to unlearn some things. I've spent my whole life, my whole spiritual life, trying to unlearn stuff that I learned the wrong way. It's not that I had bad teachers. It's just that I had this really small view of who God is. And it defined so many things that didn't work for me. They didn't paint the right picture of God. Paul went away for three years because he realized, oh, maybe, maybe being a Pharisee is not it. Maybe just being an expert in the law is not it. Guys, maybe going to church your whole life and just trying to live by this simple set of, I, thou shalt not. Maybe it's not a big enough picture of Jesus. Maybe we need to unlearn some things. And in unlearning some things, we realize, oh, I'm free from that stuff. And we can be free to walk in freedom. Paul probably also realized that unlearning his old ways wouldn't be enough. He needed to learn who Jesus really was, and he did. We find out in Galatians chapter 1 that during this time, Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Paul said, this gospel I'm preaching, I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from anybody else. I got it straight from the mouth of Jesus. Guys, have you separated yourself from the world long enough? This is a great opportunity. Instead of just feeding on Fox News and CNN, maybe we just cry out to God, would you please speak to me? I need to know you more. I need to know that, that fear is not the biggest thing in the world. One more lesson that I think Paul te teaches us, and I think it goes right back to what Brock talked about last week when he talked about the fast brain and the slow brain and the, and, uh, the slow brain being what's on the screen right in front of you and the fast stuff is, is everything working in the background. I think this is how Paul rebooted his system. Putting things, putting in the right things, learning Christ, praying for humility and kindness and meekness and not responding out of the flesh, that is the process of rebooting what's going on in, in your, behind the scenes in your heart. I think Paul taught us that. It kickstarts this process of self-renewal. The second guy, y'all still with me? Second guy, got to get to it quick, is Ananias. He's the next guy in Acts chapter 9. He is the guy that, that, that God picked out to be the first person to go to Saul. Let's see what the Word says in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. In a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. 
But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Taking some food, he was strengthened. See, this is what I want to get from Ananias because Ananias, this was a growth point for him. This was a growth point for him because he was faced with a situation where he had to ask himself, is my faith bigger than my fear? Is my faith bigger than my fear? God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go to Saul. Ananias immediately says, I've heard about Saul. That dude is bad news. He... He's, he persecuted people in Jerusalem. He's got papers in his hands to persecute me. God said, I understand that. I want you to go to him. You understand? Yes, sir. And he went. And he was obedient. See, here's, here's my question. Can we ever really grow if we come to a point where we're saying, this is too much, God, not me, I'm t- my fear is too big. Guys, one of the, my things that's heartbreaking to see people everywhere in so much fear, but yet claiming to have so much faith. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I know that people are at risk, and I know this is real, but is your faith real? If you don't have faith for times like this, then why do you have faith? It's a question you have to ask yourself because it might not be a pandemic. It might not be COVID-1. It could be anything because fear has run rampant in the world long before the last two months. So what is the thing that's keeping you from stepping into your call? Because until you face that fear, you're not going to grow. Paul later wrote about Ananias, and I think this is beautiful, in Acts chapter 22. He's telling the story about what happened 20 years ago. This is 20 years later. Ananias... A devout man to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. This is Acts 22, verse 12. He came to me, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And in that very hour, I received my sight, and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear his voice. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Here's the second lesson I think we need to learn from Ananias. That facing our fears unleashes the power of our testimony. Facing our fears unleashes power like you have no idea. In Revelation it says the saints, they're the ones who overcame by the blood of the Lamb and what? The power of their testimony. If you don't face your fear and step into it, all that power remains locked up inside of you. Look at what Paul said about Ananias, because I think it's, I've never looked at it like this until this week. What Ananias did for Saul or Paul, it's what we're supposed to do for everyone we meet. Listen to this. 
Aren't we all supposed to go wherever God sends us? Regardless of where it is? Aren't we called to go and stand by those who He sends us to? Aren't we called to go and try to help them see, to help them hear the voice of God? Aren't we supposed to remind them that God wants them to know His will? Aren't we supposed to tell them that you're supposed to go be a witness of everything of God that you've seen and heard? See, a lot of us miss that. Well, I can't go. I can't. I don't know enough. No. Ananias said, Saul, you're going to go and you're just going to tell them what you've seen, what God's done for you. I don't know what you've seen of God, but you do. Tell that. Share that. Stand by someone who needs someone to stand by them. Guys, we can, we can learn from Ananias that facing our fears unleashes the power of our testimony. Okay, y'all got one more time for one more person? One more person, and that person is, is me. I won't talk about me, won't talk about my. Little Toby Keith right there. See, it's me. It's Pastor Mark Zimmerman at gmail.com. By the way, that is not me. If you get an email from that, that's not real. See, why do I want to talk about me? Because this idea of growing is something that I've struggled with my whole life. I mean, I have not always been the specimen that stands before you today. I I have not. Um, Growing is not something that came easy for me as a child. I was looking for my 10-year-old picture, and I realized that from about age 7 to about age 12, I looked exactly the same. Didn't grow a bit. Some people might call me a a late bloomer. Other people might call me a a later bloomer. Some people are wondering if I've ever bloomed at all. My eighth grade year and my ninth grade year were particularly hard for me. Okay, My eighth grade year, I, I found out I couldn't see. I was sitting in the back of geometry class. I couldn't see the board. My teacher calls me up. I think I'm in trouble. Sends me to the office. They call my mom. Because I can't see. And they kind of chastised my mom, I think, a little bit. You know your son can't see? No, I didn't know. And he didn't know either. I didn't know trees had branches. I thought they were big green blobs. And so I go, I have an eye exam. They take me to pick out glasses. I'm about this tall. Okay, so they take me to a very special section of the store and say, you choose from these. And so I pick out the coolest looking glasses I could find. Back in the day, you couldn't get them in a day. It took like two or three weeks for them to make your glasses. Get the glasses back. They call, say they're in. My mom drives me to Texas State Optical at Parkdale Mall, Beaumont, Texas. Walk in, they hand me these glasses. I am so happy I put them on. And, oh, I can see. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. We're in the car. We're driving home. I take my glasses off. I'm playing with the glasses case. It's like it's the best day of my life. And I take my glasses off and I look at this side and the inside and I said, Mom, I think these are somebody else's glasses. She said, what do you mean? That's nobody else. Well, it says Barney right here. And then I turned it over the other side and it says the Flintstones collection. I'm an eighth grader going into the ninth grade with Barney Rubble glasses. Chicks are going to dig me. This is my ninth grade photo ID. 
Those are the glasses. And every day at school, I'm praying, God, please don't let these glasses fall off of my face and someone pick them up and see that I'm wearing the Flintstones collection. It gets better. Ninth grade, I try out for basketball. I am a, like a five foot two point guard, more of a power forward. Anyway, Coach Jerry Dinas, back in the day, all we wore was Chucky e. T's, Kevin. It was shoe day. It was shoe day. And I was so excited. Everybody's, we're getting their shoes. So everybody's gathered around. Coach Dinas is calling out names Broussard, size 12, Barksdale, 10 and a half, Bailey. Some, for, for some reason, they all had B names. 10, I think 10, coach. I don't know. Find out what size shoe you wear, son. Then come back to me. Goes down the list. Finally, Zimmerman, four. He said, what? Four. They had to send me down to the girls' locker room to get a size six in girls, which sounds much better. Guys, why do I tell you the story? What does it matter? Because there's a spiritual truth in there. The truth is this. When we are not growing at the same rate as those around us, whatever's supposed to be normal, it can be devastating to us. It can, it, you can be racked with insecurity. Their middle school is awful because it's full of people like me, right? Spiritually, it can be the same because when we're not growing, it can lead to shame and isolation. God, don't, don't even let me get started about the group showers that they had for us back in the day in the locker room. Talk about horrifying. Guys, there are people all around us. Their growth is just stunted, or it's, it's, they're a late bloomer, maybe you're that person. Physically, spiritually, guys, spiritually, when, when I think about growth, it's the same kind of story. I was saved like 14 times growing up. Every time I went to youth camp, it felt like. Got baptized at least twice, maybe, I think actually three times. When you can't remember, that's not a great thing. Finally felt like I had it together, I'm 18, I feel God calling me to ministry. And then crickets. I don't hear another word for 12 years. I'm age 30 before I go into ministry. Because I just didn't know what to do next. And during that time, there were many days that I thought, God, I don't even know if I can't hear you. And I beat myself up, and I beat myself up. And it was like I just wasn't growing. Guys, what kind of spiritual lessons can you learn from a life like mine? Well, the first thing, as I'd say, is that, that puberty can be a cruel son of a gun if you're not that kid that has a full beard in the seventh grade. It, it could just be a bad place to be. And because of that, I would say, learn to laugh at yourself. It's a gift. Learn it early and practice it often. I'd say waiting is not a bad thing. See, because God promises strength for those who wait upon Him. Wait and, and be willing to know that you're not always going to be this way. If things aren't happening as quickly as you would like them to, give yourself a break. Just give yourself a break. Much of the pressure you're feeling, you're putting on yourself. The part of your calling that you do understand, be okay with that. And just take the next step. 
Because God is not judging you by the same standard that the world's using. See, He's looking for servants. He's not looking for superstars. And I would tell you this, the fear really is a liar. Don't pretend it's your friend. Don't walk by fear. Face it. And if you ever stop putting to death the earthly things in you, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It will rise back up. So re-engage. Re-engage in this ongoing process of putting off the, the earthly, picking up the holy, and be reminded what it feels like for your your new self, to feel renewed. Pray with me. Father, I, everything I've said today, near and dear to my heart, because it's, it's, it's a process that I feel like is so essential, but so few people, including me so often, don't engage in it like we should on a daily basis. Putting off the earthly, setting our sights on the holy, I pray that you would use this truth to maybe restart the process of renewal in some people's hearts. As we start to talk about regathering, I pray that there would be some excitement around what tomorrow might look like if we just do what we can do, realizing you've, always, you've already done the hard part. If we just do what we do, you'll do the renewing in us. I pray that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen.